welcome everyone to this edition of the Intralingo Spotlight. I'm so happy to have Timothy Gregory here as our guest today. Um, Tim is the translator of a book um, that's recently published from the Arabic um, by Dr. Monther Al-Kabani and uh, the title is Warriors and Warlocks Outcast. So welcome, Tim. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. You know, I have to say that uh, I think this actually might be the first full length book I have read translated from the Arabic. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been a follower of, uh, of the um, uh, Arab Lit Quarterly, so I've read lots of shorter mm -hmm. pieces, but I don't think I had ever taken the time to read a full, a full novel. That's one of my favorite periodicals these days, by the way. Isn't it? They it's are wonderful. quarterly. Yeah, she's fantastic. It's so wonderful. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit, Tim, about yourself, about how you learned Arabic, um, your trajectory as a, as a translator, and, uh, and then we'll talk about the book. Okay, well, let's see, when I graduated high school, this was back in 1989, it's been a little while, uh, <laughs> My folks, we didn't have money to go to college, so I joined the military. Okay. And based on a few different exams they give you when you first start at military service, they sent me to language school to study a foreign language. They offered me a choice at first, mm -hmm. well, military-style choice. I had the choice of Arabic or Russian, okay. or Arabic or Chinese, sorry. So I picked Arabic, and I never really regretted it. I did pretty well in the first set of classes, and I stayed with Marines for several years. Got out, worked in technology. 9-11 happened. I got back into the translation business. And uh, that's eventually led us to where I am today. About three years ago, I enrolled in a master's program at the University of Illinois to get a master's degree in translation. Right. And that was a lot of fun. I felt like I learned a lot there. And uh, then I've ended up working my way towards science fiction and fantasy books, which is what I always loved to read when I was a kid. Yeah, that was so great. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it was great to see that in your translator's note that, you know, not, uh, not only was this particular book interesting to you, but, but the whole genre. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always been a passion of mine. I, people learn to read by reading what they love. And when I was a kid, I had ulcers, believe it or not, starting in fourth and fifth grade. And in the time that I ended up staying at home from school, my mother bought me a copy of a book called uh, Pono the Prophecy by David Eddings, which was the beginning of a five book fantasy that led to five more and led to three more. Anyway, that was the first time I'd really read fantasy before that, I'd read some Robert Heinlein and some science fiction. So, you know, those are the things that I fell in love with reading, and I've been hooked as an avid reader ever since. Mm -hmm. But most of what I like to read is, like these days, I read a lot of Brandon Sanderson or Neil Stevenson, uh, current authors that are writing some really interesting genre-bending, we'll just call it SF for better, lack of mm -hmm. a better term, mm -hmm. which this book definitely fits into that kind of bending SF category. Absolutely. Yeah, it so does. And, and we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. Um, I'd also love to hear how you met um, Dr. Akabani and, and uh, got to translating this book. 
Well, like uh, like some people these days, we get to thank Twitter for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this was right around the time I was starting to study for my master's degree. I, on a Arabic uh, bookstore website that I visit, I saw a blurb about the original Arabic book because it was a bestseller. Mm-hmm. And, you know, got a lot of attention online and off. Uh, it looked interesting to me. So I ordered a copy of the Arabic book. And I went and followed the author on Twitter. He must have noticed because he looked at my profile and messaged me like two days later asking if I was interested in translating a book. And I told him I just started my master's program. I really didn't think I'd have time, but we could talk afterwards. And, you know, I just, I followed him loosely ever since then. But then this past, so this would have been March, I think, of 2019. I'd have to pull up Twitter to actually look at the dates. (laughs) Uh, he and Yasser Bahjat, from, who's the publisher from Yatakai Alun, uh, messaged me on Twitter and say, hey, have you finished your degree yet? And they wanted to get the book translated and finished. So I decided I would go ahead and give it a swing. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love those serendipitous sort of coincidences that, yep. that bring authors and translators together. Yeah, it worked out well. And, and I had a really nice conversation with Yasser before I accepted the job. And we t- both talked about the kinds of books that we loved. And, and we had a lot in common there, of course. So it, it seemed like a really good alignment. Hmm. And if you haven't had the chance, I would really recommend going to YouTube and look at Yasser's. Uh, there's a couple of videos of him talking. I think he did a TED Talk and one other video where he talks about science fiction as the path for growth within a society. And it's a really fascinating talk. And like I said, our, our beliefs on that subject really came together. Yeah, it, I think that's one of the most fascinating things. Well, there's so many fascinating things about this book, I have to say. Um, but it was, uh, I, I'm one of those people who read every word in a book, like all mm-hmm. of the front matter <laughs> and all <laughs> of the back matter. And I remember noticing the publisher uh, right away and thinking, oh, I, I don't know this publisher. Mm-hmm. And looking it up and going to the TED Talk and being absolutely astounded. Um, you know, at their beliefs, at their thought of how science fiction really is an indicator of progress in a society that most everything that we see today in science appeared at some point previously in In science fiction. fiction. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Well, and it makes you wonder, is it an indicator of development or is it a driver? Yes, exactly. And I think that that was an, an intrinsic belief to me before I'd ever even heard of them. And in my quest to find some Arabic science fiction and fantasy, which there is a growing amount, but there's not a lot yet. Yes. Um, I ended, I stumbled across his video and uh, this book, Mandar Kabani's book in Arabic was actually published by a different publisher. Okay. But uh, Yatakai Alun got the rights for the translation and here we are. Great. Oh, that's fantastic. Great. So would you like to do a little introduction to the book, set us up for the part that you're going to read for us? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, the book, as you said, is titled Warriors and Warlocks. It's a technically chapter one of the Warriors and Warlocks series. It's a little confusing because there's chapters inside the book. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the title of the book is Outcast. Yeah. Uh, we've got two parallel timelines throughout the book 
but the portion that I'm going to read from is the part of the timeline that's essentially now. Uh, the book was published in 2014, so some of the events that are described in there take place around the time of the Arab Spring, but there's really no relationship to the Arab Spring. It just happens to be a background event. Uh, our main character, Murad, is a surgeon in Saudi Arabia. He's had some interesting personal tragedies happen already. I ended up making him move from one city to another and he's kind of got his roots settled down, but he starts suddenly experiencing these massive headaches. Mm -hmm. And after a headache, he wakes up and the world just seems a little off kilter to him after he's woken up. Um, he goes to a party. People there are behaving towards him very differently from what he's used to. And uh, this guy who always seems to be around when he gets these headaches has disappeared and Murad has gone in search for him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we'll pick up. Excellent. Yeah, great. Go ahead. All right. Muhammad? Muhammad, it's me. Uh, Dr. Murad? No one answered. The place was obviously empty, but what about the whispers coming from upstairs? He decided to go up just to have a look. The voice came from a room at the end of the hall, but when he got there, it suddenly fell silent. Excuse me, is anyone there? I'm Dr. Murad. I'm looking for a waiter named Muhammad. Yet again, there was no answer, so he decided to open the door to investigate the source of the whispers. It was dim inside the chamber. A little light from outside filtered in through closed blinds on the window. There doesn't seem to be anyone here. Maybe I imagined the whispers. Turning to leave, Murad caught a glimpse of something on the ground near the bed. At first, he couldn't make out what it was, but when he focused on it, he knew exactly what it was. He quickly sought out a light switch, feeling for it with his right hand on the wall by the door. It took him a few seconds, but he found what he was looking for, and light flooded the room, making plain what was on the floor. He ran to Muhammad. The Tunisian waiter's body lay there, dead, eyes closed. Murad did a quick examination. He saw no cause of death. It looked like it might have been a heart attack. The whispers suddenly arose again, but this time they were coming from behind him. Just as he started to turn to see who was there, he felt a powerful blow to the back of his head, and everything went dark. Most people don't pay attention to the little things, but that is where the secret lay. That's what makes it possible to break people up into two groups, a small faction that looks and sees, and the larger part that looks, but they see nothing but what they want to see. In the end, however, that's just how life is. There's no getting around having a special minority and a general majority. Murad wasn't listening to what was being said to him. In fact, he paid almost no attention to the speaker at all. He was preoccupied with taking stock as he came back to consciousness. His head spun and his vision was just starting to clear. He tried to recall what had happened before he lost consciousness. There was a body. Muhammad, the Tunisian waiter, then came a hard blow to the back of his head. He didn't feel anything between that moment and now. Then he heard someone talking. The voice was familiar. He'd heard it before, and not long ago. Let me ask you a question. Think of this as the most important question you've ever been asked. Your answer will set the course for the rest of your life. Virginia? The shock he felt when he identified the speaker was only intensified by where he was and the people around him. He was sitting on the roof of a skyscraper. From the buildings he could see, he deduced that he was on top of the Asadi Tower. 
Virginia stood in front of him, surrounded by three muscular men dressed all in black, her personal bodyguard. What is the meaning of this? Why am I here? Marad, for tonight, I'll be asking the questions. If you can answer them, I'll give you the chance to question me as much as you like. For now, I need your answer. The cat, is it alive or dead? What? he asked. Virginia walked up to him and gracefully knelt in front of the chair. She leaned in, her head nearly touching his, searching his eyes as she again asked in a whisper, how did you manage it? I don't know. Frankly, Murad, I would much rather risk not knowing the answer to this conundrum than take the risk of leaving you alive. The last word had barely left Virginia's lips before Murad found himself flying off the tower's roof. It only took a moment, as though the men had been waiting for a prearranged signal. He felt nothing but confusion for those few moments. What cat was she talking about? What had he done that Virginia didn't know about? These questions had only just started to take shape in his mind when they threw him off. Why? He didn't bother trying to work out the solution. His time was up. None of it mattered now. Hadil, Sarah's relationship to him, the Tunisian waiter Muhammad, none of the events in the world around him, only his plummet towards the unyielding ground below. It is said that as death approaches, a person will see his life flash before his eyes in every detail, like a movie. In those moments, Murad saw more than just the years of his life. The film he saw passed in the blink of an eye. It still didn't matter, though. It'd only be a few moments before it all ended anyway. The ground was approaching at an alarming rate. Less than a second, that was all he had left. His life would end in less than a second, leaving him without an answer to the final question. Why? It was a bare femtosecond, one thousand trillionth of a second before he slammed into the pavement, when everything puffed to smoke, as though nothing were real. From the void, he heard a familiar voice whisper, Nothing will be that has not already been. Nothing will end that has not already ended. Mm, that's fantastic. <laughs> it, it is such a, uh, a great passage because it really highlights um, just what a genre-bending novel this is. You mm -hmm. know, in there, there's sort of elements of mystery, which actually aren't really resolved by the end of the book. Um, mm -hmm. There's this notion of disappearing in time. You know, what happens? Why doesn't he hit the pavement? Yep. Uh, and then the part that you haven't, you know, uh, indicated yet in that, in that passage, but then he, we end up way back in time. Um, yeah. And there's historical fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, like I said, this is one of those things that I really loved about it. It's, it's a little bit Neil Stevenson and a little bit Dan Brown. It's mysteries to solve. And, and one of the things that I really enjoyed as I've started looking at the next book, I've just barely started doing a translation on that one, mm. is we find out why the cat is a keyword, why she's asking him that question. You can kind of deduce the answer when you start the next novel. Okay, good. Teaser. Exactly, because <laughs> that's good. <laughs> because as you were reading that, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, the cat, and we never really learn what that question is about. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm glad. Yeah, that's and those are the little nuggets that I love in a really well written, well plotted novel where yes, you, you read something in the first book, and it's not really relevant until book three or five or something. And, mm -hmm. and then you go, wait a minute, I remember that. Exactly. So, yeah, I love that. 
Exactly. Yeah. So I, I must tell you that uh, I run a reading group um, called the World Lit Collective. And this book is one of the picks for um, oh. for the month of November, um, which a lot of people are really excited about. And I got an anxious text yesterday uh, from one participant saying, I finished the book. Is the next one out? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is great to hear. Yeah, yeah, and I like said, I said, let they, me they check. They were bestsellers in the Arabic, and I know that yes. we're we're hoping to see some a little bit of groundswell because it's such a tiny pot press, and they're located in Saudi Arabia. We really don't have an advertising arm here in the West. Yeah. Yes, yeah. other than Yasser himself going to the Worldcon every year, and he usually does a panel or two. Um, there's really not a lot of talk. Mm -hmm. They have other books that are in English, but most of them were translated internally. All of the guys that write are bilinguals. Right. So most of them have done kind of done their own work. Mm -hmm. I think this was the first time they reached out outside their own circle to, to find someone. And I like to think that it may have been because Dr. Murad and I connected or Dr. Mungo and I connected <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, through, through Twitter and maybe Yetakai Alun approached him and then he suggested me. I, I don't know for sure if that's how it worked. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Regardless, I'm glad that I got involved in the project. I'm enjoying it a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so great. I'd love to hear from your perspective too, Tim. Like, um, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier that, that science fiction or, or definitely this sort of speculative genre blending is is fairly new in in Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. um, what to you makes this novel particularly um, Saudi or from the Gulf states or from a particular perspective I think one of the interesting well there's there's two kind of interesting approaches here one is that uh, Murad himself, though he's Saudi as a character, he's actually of Mongolian descent. Yes. He's of Asian descent. So at one point, we've got a pretty ugly scene at a gas station and these bullies are caught beating up uh, a, an immigrant worker who's working at the gas station. Murad has a momentary flash of courage where he decides to get involved and then backs away very quickly afterwards. But they call him a chink, which is... I mean, in Arabic, they literally call him Chinese, mm -hmm. but the way it's said is very derogatory. So that was one of the translation choices I made. Um, so even though he is Arab and he's from Saudi Arabia, there is a little bit of a hint at the racism internally, which okay. is an interesting thing for someone to bring up in a, in a novel like this. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's one of the beauties of, of good fiction and good novels is that they have a little bit of license to, to address issues like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is that in the past setting, we get some pretty interesting philosophical dis discussions about Islam that are a very different perspective from what we here in the West are used to hearing. You know, they, they're looking at the investigations and the logic and how they come to the conclusions they get to in a very different manner from what the 19-year-old uneducated version of myself would never have expected from an Arabic novel. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some of the other elements, the, the basic science fiction elements where we talk about uh, quantum theory and probability theory, those mm -hmm. things are not necessarily specifically Arab, 
but they're dealt with in a pretty interesting way. And mm -hmm. I, oh, I, I think that they, the voice, I hope, comes through as something that's not typical to the West. Mm. Yeah, you know, it does. And I think in part that's, um, you know, setting based and, and all of that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, um, you know, the novel does read incredibly well in English. So kudos to you for that. Absolutely. Thank you. Of, of course, while I was trying to read through and figure out a passage, I found a bunch of mistakes. So. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> there being a small publishing. press, we didn't have a professional editor. So <laughs> it's we, all good. We edited ourselves and did the best we could. <laughs> it's all good. But the elements of storytelling were just very recognizable and very mm -hmm. familiar. Um, you know, um, Dr. Cavani is a very good storyteller. Yes, I absolutely agree. And, you know, we, we don't tend to think of it, but there actually is a very long history of storytelling in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And even novel writing goes back to the mid 19th century, I think was the first kind of Arab novel mm -hmm. uh, that came out. I, so I don't, I don't know that it's quite as unique as we in the West think it is. I think it's just that so little of it gets translated that we're not exposed to it. Right. So, uh, you know, that's, it, it is a little bit of a different point of view, but there are some familiar elements. Undoubtedly, uh, our, our author here has had the chance to read quite a few English novels and mm -hmm. probably took some influence there. Yes. But the story yes. structure is a little bit different than from what it doesn't flow quite the same way as a Western novel, mm -hmm. though it does flow, I think, quite mm -hmm. well. And uh, yeah, they, I think the elements that are specific to the culture that come out, you know, both in the, the manner that uh, Murad behaves in this kind of cowardly brave combination and in this enigmatic silence of uh, Abdurrahman make for a, a pretty interesting character pairing. Yes, definitely. And it feels to me like a lot of the, like you say, there's, a, there's science and there's philosophy. Um, of course, there's history in there as well. But it feels to me like some of that, at least from the philosophical standpoint or um, the riddles, the use of riddles, that feels, you know, very different and very Middle Eastern, likely coming from that oral storytelling history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, I think, um, so I'm not a huge uh, reader of sci-fi or speculative fiction. I do read it, but it's not probably the genre I read most. And um, I think I had saw the novel when you posted about it. And I thought, oh, I'm, that looks really interesting. I'm, I'm going to give that a read. And I think one of the things um, that I loved most about it was that it completely shook my preconceived notions of what mm -hmm. I would like or wouldn't like um, based on what I normally read. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was just a really great um, uh, shift for me to, you know, right. how we go into something thinking we're, we're going to like it or not going to like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we all tend to grow up reading you get a few assigned books when you're a kid and you figure out from there kind of what you like. And then you basically kind of narrow yourself into that genre more or less for the rest of your life. And I've tried not to do that. When I was a kid, mystery was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Agatha Christie got me hooked too, mm -hmm. just as much as David Eddings. Um, 
so I like every once in a while to grab a book that's I know is outside my norm and just try it and see what happens. Yeah, it's such a huge part of, of what I'm trying to promote here at Interlingo going forward is not only um, looking at books from countries and cultures and places and people that we've not previously um, been exposed to, but also just switch genres, read mm -hmm. something outside because it's quite amazing what, what you might find. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. So is there something that you would like readers to take from Outcast? Um, something we should keep our eye open for as we're reading it? You know, I probably my favorite part is the philosophy that's in there. Mm -hmm. I think that it it leans a little bit towards the Sufi side of Islam, mm -hmm. but that's not really what he's after. I think that it just shows that there is more openness among some, just as there is closed among others. I think that even though it's not a culture that's necessarily familiar to us, you can see familiar elements in the little political intriguing and the way they use religion as part of the political intrigue. Yes. Uh, and show that you know, there is still room for kindness and an open heart in the middle of all of this chaos. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. What a thing to watch for, not just in this book, but in the world, right? Especially today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Tim. Um, I'm going to make sure that your bio and links to the book are all in the show notes below so that people can, can find it, can read it, can promote it and, uh, yep. and, and reach out to you. My pleasure. And I will say that though you'll probably use the Amazon links because it is uh, print on demand, you can order it through local independent bookstores. Excellent. Thank you for saying that. I like that. my local independent bookstores. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, we, uh, we, I wasn't yeah. sure about that, but that's a, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, for those who it's just nice to know that a book is available in the way we want to get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thanks again, Tim. My pleasure.